So, hey, boys and girls, thanks for joining me. You know, I would be remiss if I let the beginning of June go by without acknowledging that this is Gay Pride Month. And as far as I know, that's around the world, but certainly is here in the United States. I think through the summer months, anyway, is when the world celebrates it. And for Boston here, we're going to have our annual Gay Pride Parade this coming Saturday, June 11th. And I'm going to be attending that with my husband. But I wanted to tell you an interesting story. Well, (laughs) what I hope is going to be an interesting story. I always try to tell you entertaining and interesting stories. And I'm calling today's podcast Gay Pride 1973 because June of 1973 was the very first Gay Pride parade that I ever went to. I was 15 years old at the time, and this was Boston's third Pride Parade. Now, Stonewall happened in 1969. New York Gay Pride started uh, in June of 1970. Here in Boston, we started a year later in 71. So I was here at the third parade that there ever was. And I'm going to be honest with you. In all of the years that Gay Pride has existed in my life, I have to tell you that the Gay Pride Parade and the celebrations and block parties and clubbing and all of that, I kind of have like a love-hate relationship with it. Sometimes actually even more on the hate side than the love side. And that is because of a seed that was planted way back in 1973. I'm going to be honest with you and tell you that 1973 was not only the first gay pride parade that I ever went to, but it was the last gay pride parade that I ever went to. Except this year, it's going to change. And I want to tell you all about that. So, once again, my name is Joey Hernandez, and this is Gay Pride 1973 the 14th episode of An Older Gay Guy Show. So I'm going to guess that there's probably not a lot of people who are listening to this podcast that possibly were at a gay pride celebration in 1973. Because I was wicked young to be doing this, right? And I'm sure that the majority of people who are listening aren't really much older than me. I'm 58, so you're probably not a lot older than me if you're listening to a podcast online. And so therefore, I would venture to guess that most of you were at least in your 20s when you first went to a gay pride parade. But nope, not me. No, that would be normal. (laughs) And I don't do things that are normal. So if you happen to be following along with this fucked up kind of life that I live, let me tell you that the episode I did a couple times ago, which was about I must forgive, the events I'm about to tell you took place, I guess, probably like four or five months after those events. So now it is June of 1973. And just before that, um, let's backtrack just a little bit. In late April, I think, I'd say right around then, it was spring, there was a Boston Globe article in the magazine section of it, the 
Boston Globe magazine. It was a Sunday edition, and it was a multi-page and multi-photo story about a minister who was part of like a Unitarian Universalist kind of church, and that he had been disbarred from his church because he had performed a wedding ceremony for two guys. And it showed the photo of the minister and of the church that he used to belong to. And it showed a bunch of pictures of these two guys who were like 21, 22 years old at the time. And they were both adorable, absolutely adorable. Now, we're in 1973. I'm very much into the Partridge Family TV show, (laughs) right? I very much looked like a very young David Cassidy, and therefore I had my hair cut like a very young David Cassidy, all blown back and parted in the middle, and I wore the puka shells and the silk shirt and the and the uh, hip-hugging jeans, and they were uh, bell-bottoms. You know, it was very early 1970s. And these two guys, who were about 22 or so, had beards, and, oh, they were just fucking gorgeous. Now, most people would just tend to look at that and take it for face value and, I don't know, maybe masturbate looking at the photos or something like that, which I'm sure I did in hindsight. I'm, I, I have no doubt, knowing me, that I actually did that back then. But I was a pretty ballsy kid. You know, I put myself out there a lot. I took a lot of chances. My attitude's always been, what the fuck, you might as well enjoy life. And I've always believed the, you can't please everyone, so you might as well please yourself kind of thing. So... I I did what I want. Now, in 73, my mother had terminal cancer and was dealing with her cancer stuff. My father had died several years before. My two brothers got married that year and moved out of the house. So it was just myself and my mother who was in the hospital a lot. I was very young. I was on my own. And when I read this article, I looked at the very end of it and it gave the name of the person that wrote the article. And I wrote a letter to that person saying, I know you interviewed this minister. Could you please pass this letter along to the minister? And within that, I enclosed yet another letter that I wrote to these two guys. So I was asking someone at the Boston Globe to please forward it to the minister, and I was asking the minister to please forward it to these two guys that had gotten married that I thought was so hot. (laughs) And, you know, I'm one of these people that, you know, I, I would put something out there like that, and I don't really think that people would respond to me necessarily, but, you know, I'd write a letter. I wrote letters to movie stars and TV stars and just everybody. I I was always just taking chances. And sometimes I'd get things back and sometimes I wouldn't. Well, I did get a response from the minister who said, thank you very much for your letter, yada, yada, yada. I'll pass it on to the guys. But meanwhile, I'm, you know, I've been excommunicated from my church and I have no money and I'm looking to start another ministry. Could you please possibly send me some money to help me out with that? And, you know, I'm reading the letter. I'm 15 years old. And I'm like, yeah, all right, pal. <laughs> I'm just going to send you some money, right? 
So I, I pretty much gave up on that and said, you know, screw that. And a few weeks later, it was on a Saturday morning, the phone rang. My mother was in the hospital at the time, so I was home alone. I answered the phone, and it was one of these guys. And my first thought is, how the fuck are you calling me? <laughs> you know? And then the more I thought about it, I'm like, well, knowing me, I don't remember the letter exactly, but knowing me, I probably put my phone number in there saying, oh, please call me. Please call me. I think you're really hot or some fucked up thing like that. So it was one of these guys and he's like, Hey man, yeah, it's really cool to hear from you and got a really good vibe from you and all this shit. Right. I'm like, Holy fuck. So he said that he and his now quote husband lived in this, um, situation with a bunch of other people, um, unmarried men and women all together. They, you know, this was the hippie culture. This was the, kind of the end of the hippie culture in the early seventies. And they had invited me to dinner, but because of the timing of dinner, I wasn't able to be able to do that kind of thing. You know, I, I still didn't have a driver's license. I was too young. Uh, my mother wasn't there. It, it was just impossible for me to go to that kind of dinner. It wasn't anything that was on public transportation in Boston that I would have been able to access. So I thanked the guys for the phone call and saying, you know, I think this is so cool that you would call me. You know, I was looking at your photos and one of the photos, they were on the beach shirtless and running around through the waves. And, you know, they had these beautiful hairy chests and they weren't muscular at the time. People didn't really do the muscle building thing back then. This was even before the movie Pumping Iron with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which kind of began people to get them into the gyms and all. And, you know, this was before then. So they were just basically toned nicely, hairy chest, this beautiful, long, feathered, cascading hair with the beard. Oh, shit. I can still think about it. So, you know, I said, oh, I saw your pictures on the beach and I just thought you guys were so hot and da, 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 da. And their response was kind of like, uh, okay, kid. Yeah. Well, um, that's nice. Um, you know, we're married and we're a couple and we're just with each other and all. And I remember thinking, oh fuck, these people think I'm trying to pick them up or something. Right. So I, you know, I quickly said, you know, I just, I just wanted to acknowledge that, I read about you getting married and I want you to know that, you know, even though I'm young, that that is something that I want in my life. I want to be able to be married to a man and have a monogamous relationship. That's just like if straight people had gotten married. Now, I remember saying this, you know, directly to them. And the guy was like, you know what, kid? Next Saturday, which was a week from the day I was talking to them on the phone, next Saturday is, is going to be this gay pride parade in Boston. Uh, it's during the day. It's around noontime. There's going to be probably a couple hundred people there or so. Why don't you come in? You can meet us because we're going to be the marshals of the parade. Um, you know, we've, we're the most well-known, and so people are coming to see us because of this article. So why don't you come in and meet us. So I'm like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, great. Yes. Yes. Let's do that. 
So I hung up the phone and I remember I ran upstairs and I'm looking through my clothes going, oh, I gotta, I gotta look really good f for them. Right. You know, I went and got my hair cut that week. So it was feathered nicely. Right. I had my puka shells. I always wore these big ass puka shell necklace things from the seventies. And, you know, I got my best clothes I could and I planned on going into Boston I was going to take the train from my hometown in, and I had been doing that already. I had started about maybe nine months before this, going into some gay bars early in the evening. Drinking age was 18 back then. I was, uh, at the time I was 15, I had been getting in when I was 14, just kind of acting older, and um, they didn't card back then at least going into the regular bars, it was no big deal. So I, I knew that I could just take the train into Boston and I could go to this parade. And I was all excited about it. So the morning comes, I put on all my clothes, I blow dry my hair, getting it all feathered perfectly, shooting on some hairspray so it stayed nice and bouncy and everything. Oh, crap. <laughs> back when I had hair. Oh, the dreams of back when I had hair. So... Sure enough, I went in, and right in the center of the city is Copley Square, and this is where the parade was going to gather. Now, if you go to current gay pride parades, especially if you're in one of the bigger cities, you will know that there are thousands, tens of thousands sometimes, of people participating in the parades and people who are on the sidelines and then the people that go to all the many parties that are all around the cities during Pride Week. You know, it's a big-ass production in today's world. But back then, you know, it was only the third one that Boston had. So it was small. In fact, there were not more than 150 people or so total that was there as we gathered here in this square. So sure enough, once I arrive, I notice the two of them are standing there and, oh yes, they looked as good as I would imagine they would look. So I went up to them, introduced myself. Hey, I'm Joey. And, I'm, and they were like very welcoming and hugging me and introducing me to their friends. It was really cool. Now the parade was going to start in about 20 minutes after we were having this conversation. And one of them said, hey, you know what? We need some guards for the parade that are going to be kind of on the sidelines. And why don't you be one of these guards for us? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Sure. So they were like, well, what you're going to do is you're going to wear this armband. And it said parade guard on the armband. And we're going to give you a walkie-talkie. And... Just at different times, you're going to check in with some of the other security people. And if there's a problem, um, we're able to reach the police because the police will be monitoring the parade. And, you know, people don't really know about this. So there was no one gathered on the sidelines, but they knew as the parade walked and as they waved their banners and, you know, all of that, um, that in fact, it was going to attract a crowd. So I was there just to kind of monitor what was going on. To be honest with you, at 15, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I was just, it was cool to be wearing this armband and carrying this walkie-talkie and being this official in the parade. So just before we get started, this guy comes up to me and he's 
a little shorter than I am at the time. I'm probably 5'9 at the time or so. He was a little shorter than that. He was balding. He had a big mustache like they did in the 70s. And when he smiled, he had no front teeth. (laughs) And that should have been a clue for me, but oddly enough, it wasn't. And he started talking to me like, hey, how are you? Oh, you have, you have beautiful hair. And, and, you know, you look like David Cassidy. And the second he said that, I'm all like, yeah, really? You think I look like David Cassidy? Really, really, really? And this guy started like smooth talking me. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to do the parade too. I'll, I'll go right along with you. The guy was probably in his mid-30s or so, I would say. And, you know, he seemed friendly enough, and my new friends, the the couple and their other friends, were all busy scattering around doing different stuff. So I was on my own, except for this guy that glued himself to my side as we started doing the parade route. So this dude is walking along with me as we do the parade, and I had told him I was 15 years old, and, you know, of course, nobody knew that I was gay, And then I noticed that there were TV cameras starting to pop up and film various parts of the parade. And I was thinking, oh, shit, you know, I I can't get caught on camera. I said this to the guy. You know, it would be a big family problem if I did. So I I wanted to make sure I wasn't caught on camera. And he's like, oh, don't worry, Joey. I'm going to watch out for the cameras for you. And I'll tell you when, you know, you need to duck or get out of the way. So I'm thinking this guy is like so nice. Thank you so much. You know, he's complimentary to me. He's walking along the parade route with me. He's going to watch out for the TV cameras for me, right? Awesome. (laughs) This is awesome, right? And we're marching along and they have a drum they're banging and there's some sort of music going on. And there are probably, I'd say, two-thirds men and one-third women And everybody was just so friendly. You know, they saw my armband and they saw the walkie-talkie and all these people were coming up being very nice and very, um, very gracious and very um, normal. They weren't in any way trying to make advances towards me. I didn't realize that the dude that I was beside was trying to make advances towards me. I, I was just too young to really realize that. And just by having that amount of attention, I guess, you know, my father had died, my brothers moved out, my mother was sick, I was on my own, and, you know, I I, I guess I was looking for attention and companionship and um, someone to, you know, give me validity in my life. So... You know, I let this guy kind of work his way into my my day. So the parade goes along and, you know, the walkie-talkie will buzz and someone will say, you know, you know, problem over in the front of the line, da 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 And so sure enough, you'd see like police would go over and try to handle it. I never used the walkie-talkie for anything because I didn't know what I was supposed to say. And this guy was like my shadow anyway so so we went along and we went the route and the route is now actually different than it was back in 73 and it concluded down this main street that led into cambridge which is the 
city on the opposite side of the river as Boston. Um, it was a big street named Cambridge Street. It led over a bridge into Cambridge. But the, um, the conclusion of the parade was actually right in that area. So just before we were getting up to where the conclusion was going to be, this guy kind of grabs me by my arm and pulls me into this doorway, which was this unmarked doorway. And it was a gay bar that I had never heard of, I had never been to, I didn't know anything about. And now it was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And literally there was the bartender and there was me and there was this guy. And so we're sitting over in the corner and the guy says to me, what do you want to drink? And I'm like, I don't know, I don't really drink alcohol, I don't know. And he's like, I'll get you something. So he goes up to the bartender and he comes back with scotch, straight fucking scotch. And he's like, this is scotch and this is what men drink. And I'm like, okay. And I take a sip and I'm like, whoa. Now I had had alcohol because my mother started allowing me to drink really young. When once she started to get sick, my father was already dead. Um, we would go out drinking with her sister and I'd have some cocktails or sips, but I, I sure as fuck had never had straight scotch. So I took a sip and I'm like, fuck, whoa. And he's like, go ahead, drink up, drink up. I'm going to get you drunk today. <laughs> I'm like, fuck. So I somehow managed to drink about half of that. And I could then tell like something was going on. And I had to go to the bathroom. And as I'm walking to go to the bathroom, the bartender says to me, hey, kid, come here for a sec. And I went over and I went, yeah. And he's like, get away from that guy. And I'm like, well, he, you know, he's just being nice. And he, the bartender's like, get away from that guy. Turn around, walk out the door right now, just for your safety, just leave. So just hearing those words were enough of a freak out for me. So I headed out the door and went down a couple blocks as far as I know, the guy was still in the bar, stayed in the bar. I have no idea what happened. So I went down a couple blocks to where the parade was concluding, ran into my friends, gave them back the armband and the walkie-talkie, and they ended up, like, just being interviewed by people, and there was just a, such a big thing going on that I kind of got a little lost in the crowd, and then I turned around and I, I went home and uh, just felt like really good about the day, except for the creepy guy. I did not stay in touch with those people at all. Um, that was the end of any contact with any of that. And then, you know, the f next few years went by. I wasn't interested in going into any of the gay pride parades as I, you know, I was engaged to a woman for uh, a few years and I lived kind of a straight life. Then I became a funeral director and mortician and embalmer, and which is going to be another story I'm going to tell you one of these days, all about being the life of a gay funeral director, which was really quite interesting. And I lived down Cape Cod for a while. And so I just kind of ended up not being involved in the whole gay thing. I really started getting back into it in the late 80s when I started going out to the nightclubs regularly. And then it was in the mid nineties that I started working for the gay gyms in Boston. And that's really when I became pretty well known 
in the gay community in Boston. You know, there were two main gyms that all of the gay guys went to. It was in the gay section of the city, and people were really into fitness and working out and doing the gym thing in the mid to late 90s. And being a trainer in both gyms, and I was manager at both gyms at different times, everybody got to know me. And I think that is really why going to gay pride things kind of became a real negative for me. I would go to some of the block parties and I would go to some of the nighttime parties in clubs, but the parade itself at that point, when I would see the recap on the news, the news people would always focus on the, on the real negative aspects of it. There were people that were the freaks, the extremes that were being shown on the news. And that's what they were trying to show that the Gay Pride Parade was all about. There was a year where there was a bed being pushed down the street and there were lesbians on top of it without any bras on and they were playing with each other's breasts. There was another year when there was a guy on stilts and he had... I don't know if it was his own dick or if it was like a dildo hanging out of his pants. I hope it was a dildo. I'm not sure. Um, I didn't go. I just would hear about these stories and see some of these things on the news. And it just wasn't anything that appealed to me. You know, I just really didn't want to go. And when I would go to the gay parties and the block parties, because I was a trainer, because at times I was managers of these gyms and... I had to lay down certain rules and certain expectations that the members were going to have to follow. I became not the most uh, popular person to that A-list group of gym goers, the people I had spoken about in an earlier podcast that primarily went to a gym called Mike's Gym, and they were the A-list crowd, and I was kind of an outsider to that. And yet, at the same time, I ran in those circles at the gym because I would train my clients and I would be around all of these people. They would know who I am. And there just kind of became an animosity going on between the A-list people and myself. So by the late 90s, I had been kind of putting up with a lot of jealousies, a lot of pettiness between certain groups and myself or certain groups and myself and my friends and my housemates. And so by the late 90s, I stopped going to any of the daytime gay pride events. And I just really got a negative mindset about it. You know, the parade to me was these extremes. And as time went along and our economy got worse, the clubs that I would go to in the, at night, the two gyms that I belonged to, all of these places used to have floats that would go in the parade. And as the economy got worse and as the bars closed and as the gyms closed, we got less and less floats that would go to the parade. And again, I was never there to see it, but I heard from everybody what it was all about. I read about it in the local gay newspapers. I kind of followed what was going on. And the whole pride parade thing just wasn't appealing to me. And these daytime block parties, although they 
had the potential for being fun, you know, the A-list people ended up really making it uncomfortable and not fun for an awful lot of people that they felt were not up to par with them. In fact, here's a story. There was this guy that um, had never been to Mike's gym before. He was a redheaded guy. Um, around 20, 21 years old, had a beautiful body. He worked out a lot. He was quite muscular. And he arrived at Mike's gym and started working out there. He had just moved to the south end of Boston, which is the gay area. And the A-list crowd, you know, I'm training my clients right next to a lot of the A-list people as they work out. So I could hear the conversations that would go on. And they were like all judging this redheaded guy, you know, oh yeah, you know, he has an okay body, but you know, his, he doesn't have legs or, oh, look at him wearing a tank top, but his arms aren't all that big. You know, all this A-list gym bunny bullshit that went on that I never wanted to be a part of. And this dude didn't want to be a part of it either. Because when some of them would try to talk him up and try to see what was going on with him to see if he was, and I actually heard them say this, if he was deserving to be a part of their group, he was kind of like me. He was kind of standoffish about the whole thing, you know, not insulting in any way, not unkind in any way, just not buying into the bullshit. And so they kind of had this real negative view of him. And as the gay pride time was approaching, April, May, into June, all the gay people in Boston start working out like really hard because on the day of the gay pride parade and the block parties, they're going to be shirtless, they're going to be showing off, and all this stuff, right? And I will readily admit, I was one of those people that did that too. I was just not a part of this A-list bullshit stuff. So the day of the parade comes, and after the parade, there's this main block party, which is the one that, if you're anybody, this is where you go to be seen. And it was attached to a bar that my housemates liked. So they would drag me there for, you know, I wouldn't go to the parade, but I would meet them at the block party afterwards. And it was a little rough for me because I was still working at the gay gyms, and I'd have to listen to people after they had a few drinks. They could be rather unkind because here I was still a trainer in my late forties and all of these guys are in their early to mid twenties. So I was often kind of the butt of people's jokes about my age and the fact I was still a trainer and that I would dance on boxes at clubs and cause I never fucking cared what people thought. I just wanted to have a good time. I was nice to everyone. I try to be inclusive with everyone. And, you know, people try to knock you down. So I was at this block party that particular year when this redheaded guy had been working out and getting himself ready for pride along with all the A-listers. And there was a big stage at one end of the block. And that's where the DJ was. And that's where all the lights were and all that stuff. And a certain number of people would always pile up onto it and try to dance on the stage so they're up and over everybody out in the block party. So this redheaded guy gets up there, right? 
this is about an hour into the party when it's packed. You can't move. You have to wait in line for beers for like 20 minutes. You can't move. I see from a distance this guy getting up on the stage. He, he, he gets into the front row. He starts dancing. And about 15 seconds later, I glance up and he's not there anymore. And I think, oh, that was fast. You know, he did all that work to show off and he shut it off for 15 seconds. Well, the next day I go into the gym. This is after Pride. I go into the gym and this poor guy is in a full leg cast because he danced for about 15 seconds and either fell, got knocked off, got pushed off. I don't know what, but came down off of that stage and broke his leg really badly, like in two places. So he had a, a, a cast from his foot all the way up to his hip. And yet he came in on crutches and was still trying to work out. And everybody was laughing at him. You know, it was like a big joke. Like, ha, 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 look what happened to him, you know. He was trying so hard to be one of us. And the stupid ass fell off the stage. And like, people are just so cruel sometimes, you know. I don't understand that. I did a podcast, a number of podcasts ago about gay people bullying other gay people. I see it all the time. And it makes me, that probably makes me more sad than anything. Because here we are, supposed to be celebrating gay pride, an event where we fought back for gay rights, and that we wanted to be able to be inclusive and to be equal with other people. And we just went through the whole gay marriage fight, where we finally got that, and what do gay people do? They become the bullies against other gay people. It's so sad. So I didn't go for a number of years now. I haven't gone to any of the clubs at night. You know, after, after I got over the daytime stuff and I'm like, fuck that, I'm not going to go, I would still go out to clubs at night because a lot of people got so fucked up during the day that they weren't out at night. Well, the ones that were out, I would go to a club where I would know the people because they're the people that are always there when I'm dancing and stuff. And I'd have a nice time. So this year is the first year that I'm married. I've been with my husband for four years, but this is the first year that we are actually married. And so I decided that I was going to use this as the year that I was going to return to go out and do the gay thing. My housemates that live upstairs, there's two single guys that live upstairs, they go every year to the gay pride parade. Once in a while they'll go to that block party, but it's gotten so, um, so crowded and so hard to get a drink. And they're now in their late 50s, early 60s, so they don't want to deal with that bullshit anymore. So they're going to go into the pride parade and they, they're going to go to a uh, club that has drag shows and watch that for a little bit. And then they're going to end up at the club that I always go to. So my husband is younger than me. He likes the pride stuff. He's never done Boston. He's done New York and he's done Atlanta, Georgia. So I said, you know what, honey, this year I will, I'll go to the pride parade with you. And we're going to go with the two guys that live upstairs. And don't we want to be kind 
nice, empathetic people in this world. <sighs> That's my rant for the week, folks. <laughs> Happy Pride. Not that I know how to like really put the cherry on top of the, of the cake here, huh? But I'm going to have a very positive, good experience at Pride this year with my husband and my friends. And I'm going to do a podcast afterwards, and I'm going to tell you what it was like to go back into it after all these years and going in with my attitude that I'm going to be kind and pleasant to everyone. And if people are unkind to me, for whatever reason, even though I haven't seen them in years, if they're unkind to me, then that's their problem. You know, that's their issue. That's not my issue. I am now happily married, settled down. I have the life I've always dreamed of. I have the life that I talked about on the phone with that guy in 1973. I finally have that life. And I'm going to fucking enjoy it. And for everyone that is going to pride, wherever you may be in this world, please remember that we fought to have rights and to be equal. Let's not be the bullies to other gay people just because they may be different than how we are. And if you are with friends that when you're in a group that group is nasty to people, don't play along with it, please. You know, leave the group, do whatever you have to, to do. Just be for other gay people. I love you all for listening. Thank you so much. I know this has been a little bit of a down podcast. I try to have many of them be happy and up. I'm hoping the next one will be up when I tell you all about my experiences. Meanwhile, I want you to have a wonderful, wonderful week. Please subscribe to the podcast. I'd love to have more listeners. It's so easy to subscribe. Please do so, so that you can be here with me every week. You can send any comments or concerns or questions or insults. Sure, why not? To an older gay guy show at gmail.com. This is Joey Hernandez wishing you a very, truly heartfelt happy pride. Bye now. <laughs> <laughs>